So one of your other classes that you give, uh, you know, this is, it's about Game of Thrones, which is an extraordinarily popular show. Uh, I love, I've always loved fantasy, so this was kind of a no-brainer for me. It's a, it blows my mind how popular this show really is. And there's a lot of very intricate political intrigue that goes on. You know, it, it's called Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, it's essentially, it's less of a show in fantasy as you think of like these big battles, but it's more a show of very subtle political maneuverings, all from people who have very specific philosophical standpoints and outlooks on the world. Um, with this, when you start looking at the show, what is kind of the first thing from a philosophical standpoint that you go to to kind of set the set the tone? So I think I think Game of Thrones is uh, to a large extent a, a study on power, um, how power works in, in complex groups, how power affects individuals, the, the sorts of things people will do to uh, attain power and to retain power, and. Once you recognize that fact about Game of Thrones, then that immediately invites reflection on, on the philosophical study that there has, has been on power in lots of different ways. And one of the main theoretical tools that, that is used to study power is something called uh, game theory, um, which um, essentially tries to um, study mathematically and very systematically um, how power works and how people can be forced to make certain, uh, forced rationally to make certain decisions just based on the sort of lay of the political land, so to speak. And w- one of the examples that you give, I believe, is the prisoner's dilemma. Can you explain that, and then how, does, how exactly does, can that be used to those kind of ends? Okay, yeah, so the prisoner's dilemma is a classic, um, probably the classic example of, of, of a sort of game theory analysis of, of a broadly speaking political situation and, and, and anybody can, can understand the, the basics of this scenario so so in, in the basic scenario there's been a robbery committed this is a hypothetical scenario and um, two people are arrested um, and, and the, in this case the police know that the two um, arrestees um, committed the crime but they don't have enough admissible evidence to convict and they do however uh, have enough evidence to, to say secure a two-year conviction for, for theft of the getaway car. Um, and so what the police do is they offer each prisoner a deal. Um, and, and in most versions of, of this, they, they offer this to the prisoner separately. Um, so so they, they say to each prisoner, look, if you confess and implicate your partner, um, then you go free and your partner gets 10 years. Um, um, if you both confess, then both you and your partner will get five years. Um, if neither of you confess, then you and your partner get two years. Right. So, so in that in that scenario, both both prisoners are faced with uh, well with a dilemma. Um, they they have to think well, what's what, what what should I do here? What's the rational thing for me to do here? And we can use because um, prisoners theory. are nothing if not rational. I would imagine <laughs> the cr- criminals, I should say. Well, uh, all, all human beings are, are rational to some degree, sure, um, and, and and will at least try to do what is the, the, the rational thing, sure. To do. And so we can sort of ask, well, what is the rational thing to do? What should each prisoner do if they're being rational? Um, and we can use game theory to, to answer that question. Um, 
we, we might need to build in some assumptions here. So, so let's assume, for example, that it's rational for each prisoner to maximize their own welfare. Um, let's also assume that each prisoner will better maximize their own welfare the less time you spend in prison. And from that, it would seem to follow that, that the rational thing for each prisoner uh, to do is to, is to is whatever will minimize their time in prison. Right? Um, so the general answer is, well, each prisoner should try to minimize their time in prison. And, and, and we can then ask, well, which strategy will minimize each prisoner's time um, in prison? And you can and you can draw up all the options in, in, in a matrix. You, you can sort of map this out. Um, if both prisoners cooperate, then both prisoners get two years. If um, prisoner A cooperates um, and prisoner B um, rats out um, his his partner, then prisoner A gets ten years and prisoner B gets zero years. Um, if and, and that, that can be reversed, of course. And if both prisoners try to rat each other out, um, uh, then both prisoners get five years. So um, think about think think about prisoner A, for example. Um, it looks like he has two options. Either he can uh, either he can confess to the crime, and and um, well, either he can implicate his partner or not. Right? Um, if he implicates his partner. And his partner implicates him. Um, he knows that both will get five years. If he implicates his partner and his partner does not implicate him, he gets zero years and his partner gets ten years. So no matter what what his what his his partner does, what, no matter what the other prisoner does, it's rational for prisoner A, um, if he is to minimise his time in prison to rat on his partner and to implicate his partner. And of course, it's rational for the other prisoner to do the same. <laughs> right. So it's rational for both prisoners to rat on each other, um, which of course means that if they're both rational, they'll both do it and they'll both end up with five-year sentences. Um, and so there's kind of an odd result in, in a way. Uh, the odd result is that it's rational for both prisoners to do something that will lead to a worse outcome overall for both. Than would have occurred if they both just kept their mouth shut. <laughs> that, that is really yeah. interesting. I mean, what, what's funny about that, and what I love about kind of game theory, is when people talk about it, it's kind of almost as if people are computers, and they kind of take out all of the you know cultural norms that mm. may exist in that. Like for example, yeah. snitches get stitches. So yeah. typically, yeah. when you're a criminal, you're not going to rat someone out. Um, unless, you know, maybe the death penalty is on the line. Some people will cave. But over a two-year versus a five-year sentence, I'm no criminal. Um, I haven't been on the streets in a long time. But I'm pretty sure that the rational part of that would actually be opposite of what you would predict and that they wouldn't say anything, which in turn would minimize their sentences. Yes, emotions play a role. So uh, prisoners might feel loyal to each other. If they're Bonnie and Clyde, they might be in love. You know, there, there's all sure, sorts of other factors sure. that could come into play. Yeah. Um, and what that would do is that would change the rational calculus. Um, if, if you wanted to, to model these other factors too, right? So um, you, you could try and model the costs and benefits of snitching. Mm -hmm. um, there will be costs and benefits of snitching, right? And um, prisoners it, typically it, 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 will do the cost-benefit analysis of snitching. I've I've heard this done before. Yeah. One wrote a treatise about it. That would be that would be I would read that book if it existed. Um, go on. 
Yeah, so so uh, maybe 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 the if, if if you're a member of a particularly violent gang, maybe the, mm. the, the, the cost of snitching would be almost certain death. <laughs> sure. And that would change that would change the calculus a lot. And that's often why yeah, throw up the numbers. Um, why organizations enforce penalties in this way because because it, it changes the rational calculation. Uh-huh. Um that that's often why um um armies, for example, um um have very severe penalties for desertion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's you know there's often a lot of rational pressure to desert if you're in a war and people are shooting at you and you know that just you running away will have zero impact on the war because you're just one soldier out of, out of many um then well and a major impact on your life being saved by running away exactly what's yeah. the well run away yeah but if you know if you run away you'll get shot by your own side, then that changes the calculus. Sure. Um, so yeah. again, we have a sort of game, nice game theoretic explanation for for the punishment mechanisms that exist in, in you know the mafia and in, in the army and and um, organizations like like this in general. So now, how do you how do you apply that to Game of Thrones? I mean, obviously, you know, we're going to have some spoilers here, but hopefully, everyone who's listening to this has seen yeah. the show. But you know, obviously, there 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 this does play a part. Um, what's a good example of where game theory kind of plays a part? So uh, all of Game of Thrones, I think, can be understood uh, as, 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 as a game in game theory terms. Uh, the, the central game in Game of Thrones is the game for the Iron Throne. That, that, that is a competitive scenario in which there are many players. Um, there's a goal each player is trying to achieve, which they believe will increase their, their welfare, or, or which they desire greatly, and, that, and that's to be on the throne. Um, and they're all prepared to do certain things and not prepared to do other um, things in order to achieve that game. And, and then, and then um, in, in the very first season, um, when Cersei Lannister um, can, speaks to Ned Stark, I think it's the scene where he confronts her with the, with the, the discovery he's made about her illegitimate children um, and, and who the father is. Um, um, they're, they're in the garden um, in, in, um, of the palace in, in, in King's Landing. And, 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 she, and she looks him dead in the eye and, and she sort of, well, she almost threatens him, but she says, you know, when you play the game of thrones, you win or die. There is no middle ground. Um, and she's sort of not very subtly threatening him there. She's saying, look, if you want to uh, threaten my claim to the throne, threaten my children, sorry, my children's claim to the throne, then you better be prepared to to um, fight to the death over this. Um, and that, and that sort of and that, that's the central game I think in Game of Thrones. But there's lots and lots of other games. There's lots of, of these 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 scenarios in which people are having to figure out what other people are going to do and then adjust their own rational calculations accordingly. And all of that can be modelled in, in, in game theory terms. One uh, there, there's lots of interesting differences though as well between the between the the, the sort of game you have in the Prisoner's Dilemma and the games that you have in Game of Thrones. Um, you know, the, the, the game for the, for the Iron Throne, for example, is indefinitely long. Uh, the Prisoner's Dilemma is a finite game, right? There's, there's you know, there, there's a very distinct outcome. Um, the, in, in, in the game for the Iron Throne, there, there's imperfect information. So the players don't know everything that the other players know. Um, and, and that massively complicates their ability to make decisions. The prisoner's dilemma is perfect information. Both prisoners know w- what's on offer. Both prisoners know um, how the other prisoner will calculate if they're rational. Um, 
uh, that's a really, really, really big, big difference. Um, and in in the game for the Iron Throne as well, unlike in the Prisoner's Dilemma game, um, it's not clear whether it isn't obvious which strategy is the best strategy. So in the Prisoner's Dilemma, it looks like the best strategy is to implicate your partner. Um, in the game for the Iron Throne, it's really not clear what the best strategy is, um, and different players for for the Iron Throne adopt very different strategies. Well, I mean, it, there's actually a board game called Game of Thrones, uh, which is kind of this exact idea. You know, each person has their own special abilities. And how do you maximize that ability in order to succeed and get the Iron Throne? Essentially, everyone kind of has those those um, tools, but who uses them in the best way and which tools are best? Because, you know, Tywin Lannister, um, you know, he's very Machiavellian. You know, his whole idea is to further his family's wealth, power and influence at all costs. He's very Mr. Burns in that effect. And, you know, those are the types of skills that in this type of game are the most successful do you guys, you know, through through your through the theories and, and through this work, do you, can you really identify which ethos or which set of beliefs is the most valuable when um, taking on the Iron Throne? Well, so you can possibly identify Tywin Lannister's strategy in game theory terms. So, so there, what, what one thing they sometimes do with the Prisoner's Dilemma is they test it um, with large groups of people and they'll let them play the game again and again and again. And so people will see, um, and, and people will have the same partner as the game gets played again and again. Um, and then people will then adjust their strategy depending on what on what their partner has done in the past. So if your if your partner ratted you out last time, then you might rat them out the next time, and so on. And 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 the description that people have for one common kind of strategy that people employ in in what are called iterated versions of the prisoner's dilemma, where the game gets played many times in sequence. Is, is tit for tat, where um, you do to your partner whatever they did to you last. So, right. if, if, so if, if, if your partner uh, kept, kept their mouth shut last time, then, then next time you keep your mouth shut and, 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 and vice versa. And, and there, there, there's a great scene in, um, I think it's season three of um, Game of Thrones, where Tywin Lannister is, um, is giving some advice about how to rule um, and, 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 and he says something like, you know, look, when, when your enemies defy you, um, you you've got to, um, I think he says, serve them steel and fire. Um, but when they go to their knees, you've got to help them get back to their feet. Um, or no one will ever bend their knee to you. Um, and, and that looks like he's saying, you know, you've got to give tit for tat. <laughs> um, if, if, if people are, are, um, are hostile to you, you need to be hostile back. But but if if they you know if they're nice to you you often need to be nice back. Sure, um, I mean the, it's the Game of Thrones version of the Golden Rule essentially is what you're saying. Well, the Golden Rule, I think, <laughs> yeah, the, the Ish, Golden Rule is, 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 is treat others how how you wish to be treated yourself. Right, 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 so, all right. That's fair. Yeah, 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 you aren't allowed to be nasty if people are nasty to you. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's it's tit for tat, right? I mean that yeah. that, that that is uh, uh, in game theory a technical term. <laughs> um, is it really? Yes, yes, it describes a strategy. Um, uh, <laughs> the tit for tat strategy. strategy. A tit for tat, yeah. It's, and wow. it's a common strategy people use in, in everyday life in lots of contexts. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know, and it's funny because ultimately what you do, and I found this to be really cool, is that you compare this to the Cold War and, you know, in a modern day sense, how we can apply this to a real thing that actually existed. And while I was researching this, I, I was actually blown away by how many comparisons Game of Thrones has to, to, to the Cold War. Uh, just a couple that may be inconsequential but blew my mind was this idea that um, Daenerys, uh, the mother of dragons, that her dragons actually represent the power of the nuclear bomb. Um, which is really interesting because it's the Cold War. Um, in C- Game of Thrones, the war is going to take place when it is winter, when it's cold outside. And the tagline for the show is Winter is Coming, which is also really telling because a nuclear winter uh, would happen you know, if nuclear bombs went off in, during the Cold War in the United States versus Russia. I found that to be very telling and you know, very ominous in a way. Um, but but how how does uh, game theory how how do these kind of rules in Game of Thrones how do they apply to the Cold War? Well, so game theory really arose during the Cold War when um, the the sides in the Cold War uh, were trying to analyze what the other side was likely to do um, and what it would be rational for um, the other side to do, um, particularly in the case of a first strike, a first nu- 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 nuclear strike. Um, 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 and, and they, they got their um, boffins to sit down and, and analyze what, what they thought would happen, and, and game theory arose out of that, really. Um, um, and this is where sort of certain um, possibly mythical stories um, arose. So, so, so one, one, one thing that people may well have heard of is, is the, the doctrine of mutually assured destruction, sometimes known as MAD. Um, and the thought was is that, well, if both sides have the policy that if the other side launches a first strike, then the other side would respond with a devastating counter-strike. If both sides have that policy, then if one side strikes first, then both sides are going to destroy each other. Um, and uh, the, thought, the, 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 the thought was that, um, or, or at least according to the kind of mythical story, um, Game theorists back in the 60s, the first sort of game theorists um, who were working for the State Department and, and the equivalent in, in the USSR, um, argued that mutually assured destruction was um, was uh, a crazy state of affairs and because it sets up something which is roughly analogous to a prisoner's dilemma. Um, and, and it sets up something which is roughly analogous to the prisoner's dilemma because the threat to respond if if you suffer a first strike isn't credible enough um and the reasoning was this um so suppose suppose the usa launches a first strike on the ussr and the leader of the ussr knows that the first strike is, is on its way and so essentially the ussr is already destroyed and this can't be changed by blowing up the world um, and so there's no incentive really to carry out a threat to retaliate there, there, there's there's no rational incentive <laughs> to carry out the threat to retaliate. So 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 the threat to to, reta- to retaliate is therefore un- undermined. Um, and so what this does is it incentivize incentivizes uh, both sides to ignore the retaliation threat and strike first. Um, and that and so that sets up a kind of analogous situation to the prisoner's dilemma where. Um, uh, because just because of the rational pressures of the situation, um, the outcome will be a situation which is um, worse for worse for both sides. Both sides will try and strike first. Right? Uh, 
both will be destroyed and, and, and um, it will be worse for everybody. Um, and according to myth, um, uh, which is at least somewhat true, I think, but bo bo th this analysis was taken very seriously on both sides. And so they tried workarounds. And so one way they tried to work around this was, was to set up kind of uh, what they called commitment devices so that the other side would know that the retaliation would be automatic. So, so that there wouldn't be a rational choice taken by anyone. It would just be automatic. If there was a first strike on me, automatically there would be a response. And, and, and that would change the kind of rational calculus. Um, and, and there are other legends around this. So, so, so for example, apparently um, Nixon used to have the CIA produce false leaks um, that, that he was insane and frequently drunk. And so, less, and so less likely to act rationally. Um, and on the other side, apparently, according again, according to legend, the KGB um, would would fabricate medical reports which would exa exaggerate Brezhnev's senility, again to imply that he was less like less likely to to act rationally. All, all because of this sort of game theory analysis that that well, if, if we act purely rationally, then um, we sort of become too predictable, and and, and the other side are. Um, incentivized to, to attack. You know, it's amazing because in every part of game theory that you've mentioned, there's always this assumption of the rational decision. And I don't think that a lot of people, you know, going back to what Plato said about democracy, I don't think the best people are in power and in these positions to make these rational decisions. So while a lot of this game theory is very interesting, that assumption of rationality, I think, kind of pokes a hole in a lot of the outcomes, or at least the probability of the appropriate outcomes, if that's a phrase. Uh, which which is really interesting, I think, when you kind of look at it. What when you really start to think about what could the reality be? Um, I don't know. It gets kind of scary, is what I'm saying. Both in real life and in Game of Thrones. Um, I mean, this is an incredible discussion. I wish I could take your class. Are you guys going to offer them online at any point, or is this only in person? Well, so the the Game of Thrones course is being offered online. That that's launching in in April 2019. Um, people can, can uh, that's already on the university website, people can, can, can sign up for it there. Um, they just go to the University of Glasgow short courses um, and the philosophy section will find the Game of Thrones course there. We have another online course launching at the same time uh, on Star Wars and philosophy um, and people can sign, sign up for that as well. There are plans to launch uh, the other pop culture and philosophy courses online too, but that's uh, for, for, for another time. Uh, well, this is incredible. Uh, you know, now that they're available online, I highly recommend it. Um, people should go check it out. So, again, thank you for this extra time, uh, Dr. John Donaldson. Thank you very much for having me. Um, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night.